2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 5. Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. And Lord, as we approach these wonderful passages, would you let the encouragement take hold of our hearts this morning? For anyone who doesn't know the love of God yet, we pray that you'd have a special meeting with them in their hearts, that we'd all go from this place sure of our mission in you, confident of your mission, Father, worldwide, and knowing just what your Holy Spirit's saying to us, to apply these things, to dwell on these things, when you make us more like your soldiers in Christ, to carry on the mission. And speak through me, Father, may your words not fall. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. So we're very nearing the end now of our studies in Thessalonians. We've just got chapter 3 to go. And whether this is your first time hearing a talk at Servants Church on Thessalonians, or whether you've been here for all of John's preaching on Thessalonians, let's, let's play a little catch-up. Why have we got these two letters in the Bible to the church of Thessalonica? Paul went there. Paul, being um, an apostle of Jesus, went there on his missionary journeys. He went into the synagogues, spread the word of, of God, and we saw lots of people in the Thessalonian church, both Jews and Gentiles, coming to faith. But Paul was only able to stay with them a little while because of heavy persecution. He was forced out. The, uh, the Jews stirred up trouble there, didn't like this gospel news coming and changing everything. They kicked him out of the city. And Paul couldn't stand worrying about the faith of the Thessalonian church anymore. So he sent uh, Timothy to them, he sent letters to them to find out how their faith was going and to clear up the things they were erring on a little bit. Um, it, we see as themes across both the two Thessalonian letters um, the ideas of idleness and the, the wrong ideas about what's going to happen um, before the end of time, the day of the Lord. Some of the Thessalonians thought that we were already living in the best that God had for us, that the day of the Lord had already come. And they were wrongly applying that and thinking that meant they could do nothing. So Paul was writing the second letter especially to correct that and make sure they got on with the work God had for them to do. So, so far in 2 Thessalonians, we've already had a lovely encouragement and exhortation from Paul. In chapter 2, he's again stated about how the man of lawlessness must come before the end times, that there'll be a strong falling away. And um, towards the end of chapter 2 as well, there's this lovely encouragement from verses 13 to stand fast in, in Christ and to be established in God's grace. It's, it's from this backdrop of a persecuted church being encouraged to stand fast and hold still to the truth that we have Paul turning to asking for prayer now. At the beginning of, of chapter 3, Paul's saying to the church, finally brethren, pray for us. And that's wonderful to take a minute to think about because so many times in the letters to the Thessalonian church already, Paul has said how he's praying for them. Yeah. At least five times already, just in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, how he's praying for them, constantly making mention of them in his prayers, giving thanks to them always. It's wonderful to know somebody's praying for you. 
And now Paul is offering the chance for the church to reciprocate that love and to pray for him. You might think, why does the great apostle Paul, why does someone who's so spiritual and on God's mission, he's on it, why does he need any prayer? Well, you might ask, why does someone like John Brown need our prayers when he's so great all the time? Well, that's exactly it. Our leaders need our prayers all the more. The people in charge, the people who have the responsibilities, who make the weighty decisions, they're the ones who God calls an account to of the words they use. So we need to pray for them all the more. And it's a way to partner in the mission as well. You see, Paul isn't encouraging the Thessalonians to focus on their own circumstances. In the trouble they've been facing, they're facing uh, threats of death, they're facing outcast and um, being pushed away out of society for being Christians in this Thessalonian society. A bit like you might feel today, the threat of feeling an outsider just because of our beliefs. But Paul isn't letting them just stay there and say it's fine, it's okay, just just assume that place of being on the outside and focus on your troubles. No, Paul is saying when you're in your deepest trouble, that's when you should be praying for other people's problems. So after having offered them so much encouragement and prayer, Paul is saying, I know you're in a hard place. You face the threat of persecution because of your faith. But why don't you pray for me? Why don't you pray for our missionary team and the spreading of God's word throughout the world? You see, sometimes it's when we're having our suffering, that God wants us to focus on someone else's suffering and pray for them that he'll alleviate our own suffering and take our eyes off the present problems. You see, the Thessalonians didn't have to go anywhere to join in God's global mission. God's vision is that the whole earth comes to know him. Did you know God doesn't want anyone to perish but he wants all to come to repentance and how can we join in with that we can't all necessarily go like Paul did and decide to run through a load of countries spreading the word we can't all necessarily go overseas but Paul is saying right from where you are from the comfort of your own home and your own church you can partner in the spreading of the gospel actively by your prayers for our missionaries for the word of the Lord What's the motivation to pray then? Why don't we just leave it to the people who are the missionaries? Why should we pray? Well, as an encouragement, remember that God already answered these prayers. Paul's asking for prayer here for his, word, for his missionary journey, for the word of the Lord to run swiftly and be glorified, just as it was with you. And we know from the history, we know from the book of Acts what Paul went on to do. He went from... Um, he went from, from Thessalonica to a- Athens to Corinth to Rome. He went all over. He went to all the capitals of the Roman Empire, political capital, Rome, the, uh, the commercial capital, um, Corinth, the in- um, intellectual cap- capital, Athens. So that was God answering those prayers that the Thessalonians were praying for Paul. Do you think God will answer your prayers today to have the word of the Lord spread to the ends of the earth? And another great and exciting reason why we should join in with the praying for God reaching everybody is because we're making the picture that we see in Revelation a reality. You'll see it on the screen. What does it say in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 10? After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a beautiful thing to remember. 
that we shouldn't just be praying for ourselves, for our family, for our local church, but as we join in praying for God's global mission, we really are bringing this reality one step closer with every prayer, that one day every nation will be represented before God. People of all tribes, nations and tongues will be praising him and worshipping him together. Do you realise what mission is? John Piper says that mission exists where worship doesn't. One day there'll be no more need for mission because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that the Lord is God. And so we stretch out to the people around us immediately and to the wider world, inviting people into the worship of God, which will last forever. So we know why to pray about mission. Let's look at how to pray. What does Paul ask for specifically in verse 1 there? That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. It's encouraging even to think, before anything else, that Paul calls it the word of the Lord. He made special mention earlier in Thessalonians to say it wasn't his word that was preached or accepted by the Thessalonians. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. That really takes the pressure off of us. If you get worried and nervous to share your faith with people at work and in your neighbourhood, if you think they might reject you, Paul is making it clear here, we can be sure, that it's God's word, it's the Lord's message of salvation and hope. It's not our personal message. We can bring it with our personality, we can bring it with our humour. But if people reject what we have to say, they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting God. And we could leave that with God to sort out. We don't have to worry. And the fact that it's God's word as well comes with that wonderful promise, which is so encouraging to pastors and speakers like me alike, that the word of the Lord will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent out. It will not return void. That really kept me going, preparing for this sermon. (laughs) And when the way Paul talks about the word running swiftly... He's using in the Greek an analogy to a runner. Imagine some sprinter at the Olympic Games. He had that picture in mind of someone who was persevering in their race, making it to the end with all endurance and power. Because that's the way we want God's word to spread. From person to person, like the way fire spreads from church to church, nation to nation. We can see it done by joining in our missionaries in prayer. He says, And be glorified just as it is with you in verse 1 there. What does it mean for the word of the Lord to be glorified? Tricky word, that glory, glorified, but just think of it as being accepted, being received in faith. Because Paul said earlier in 2 Thessalonians, when we came to you, you believed our testimony to you. That's all it really means, is to hear the gospel, the good news, and to accept it on faith and believe God came as Jesus. Jesus loved the whole world so much that he died for every one of us to bring that relationship if we're willing to repent. But Paul isn't just asking for gospel accessibility as he runs from nation to nation. He's not just saying, 
make sure it gets everywhere. That's not good enough. A response has to come from the good news, from the gospel. Paul is asking for prayer as well, for gospel effectiveness. Because we also see from this word glorified, we can't just sit there and say, great, I've believed the word of God, like the Thessalonians were doing, and saying, we're saved now, we're Christians, it's all right. We can just be idle until Jesus comes back. We can just live off each other and just sit around all day and uh, gossip and busybody. But no, Paul said again earlier in 2 Thessalonians, we are always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. You see, we should see fruit, and we should pray for fruit, wherever the gospel is being spread. Not that it just is received and accepted, but the whole idea of it being glorified is that people put it into action, and they start living for Jesus right where they are. You'll see on the screen as well, Acts 13, verses 48 to 50. As another example of this, when Paul was in Pisidian Antioch, he, he um, brought the word to the Gentiles, and it says, When they heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. So not only shall we pray that the gospel is spread and believed, and fruit comes from it, it's important to realise that when that happens, it'll spread even more. It'll just go further and further when people are making good on the gospel, when they're spreading it, believing it, living it out. That's what we can be doing, is showing it to go from region to region. That's not all Paul is asking prayer for. He needs deliverance from something, which is what we see in verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. And we saw that just carrying on in the Acts 13 verse. It says, But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. We definitely should be praying for the positive aspects of the gospel to go out, for people to be willing to carry it and share it and live it out. But do recognise that there are people against it. There is the wickedness of people. And when Paul uses the word there, unreasonable, in the Greek that just means out of place. It's like someone being illogical, someone being just plain wrong and silly. Because the word of God, the good news about Jesus Christ, is nothing but good. And it is a cure for all of us. And so to oppose that really is silly and out of place. And it's wickedness. We see lots of this throughout the New Testament. We see lots of persecution from people who react in a hostile way to the gospel, to the bringing of the good news. In fact, we read in Acts 17, the reason why Paul was thrown out of Thessalonica and couldn't stay there long with the Christians was because the Jews there stirred up mobs and riots and they threatened to kill Paul and he had to escape the city and as he went to the next place, Berea they even followed him there and went to agitate the, cr the crowds there they wouldn't let, let up you see there's always people, there's always someone who stands to lose something when the gospel is brought they stand to lose their power, their money, their authority, their influence by the fact that there's a higher king who we should be loving and serving so don't be surprised when people act in a hostile way when there's, the gospel is received in anger. Paul is praying that he and the missionary journey would be 
spared from that kind of intrusion. But it is wonderful to think how Paul isn't praying just for himself or his group in a kind of selfish way, saying, make sure that we have an easy time, make sure that we've got all the provisions we need, make sure that we're safe and taken care of. Paul's main concern is the effective spread of the gospel and that nothing would hinder it. Not himself, but his mission as the carrier of the word of the Lord. So God loves to spread his word worldwide. But he's a God of the local church as well. What's the base of operations for our missionaries going out? Where do they start? Well, it starts with the local churches. And as we see, as we move on to verses 3 and 4, we read, But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. There's a lovely intentional contrast here between the end of verse 2, saying, Not all men have faith, and then saying, The Lord is faithful. It's important to remember, as we might get discouraged, as we see the world falling into chaos, as we see nations turning away from God. Remember that the Lord is faithful. No amount of human unfaithfulness can stop God's faithfulness. And recognize this from verse 3, the Lord will guard you from the evil one. You see, it's not just wicked people who stand to lose something, who react badly to the gospel. Do you know that we have an enemy against us as well? You see, it is... The evil one that is Satan's business, it is his mission to disrupt God's mission as much as possible. And he'll use people to do that. We see examples of that through our acts. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira who held back some of the money from selling their field and they were struck dead there and then because they were blaspheming the spirit. And we also even see when Peter said to Jesus in the Gospels, you don't have to go to the cross, there's another way, don't die. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. The enemy loves to use especially Christian believers in any way he can to disrupt the work of God in the local church, in the global mission. But what's God going to do against this? Well, it says he will establish us and guard us. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5 Verses 23 to 24, it should be on the screen. We heard these verses earlier during the worship time. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. There again, emphasising the faithful character of God, despite all our disobedience and all our faithlessness. See, when he's earlier in Thessalonians, the evil one is called the tempter. He will do anything to disrupt God's local mission and make the people around us not see any power in the gospel. Don't be led astray by the tempter. Don't go into arguments. Don't hate a brother or sister. God wants us to pull together in love so that we are demonstrating the Jesus whom we follow. By our love for one another, Jesus said, they will know that we, we are his disciples. And as well, let's look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 17, which says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself 
And God, our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. It's so wonderful to know that God is working in us and through us. We don't have to take the responsibility of a local mission to the community all on our own backs. We don't have to think that we need to look perfect as a church group, that we need to be doing everything to engage with every people group. It's God who's going to work in us to produce what looks like his family, and that's going to attract people and draw people into his worship. See, mission starts right where we are. Paul was encouraging the Thessalonian church to carry on doing just what he'd instructed them to do and to start mission in their local context, as we see as we move into verse 4, which is about this idea of commands. Do you see this? Read verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do things we command you. Don't think it's all about sitting passively and praying for things. God will so often use us as the answers to our own prayers. Paul's exhortation to the Thessalonian church and what we should be doing today is getting on and serving in the mission he's called us to do right where we are. See, it's as we get alongside the work God has for us that he'll supply our every need, that he'll pull us together in love and that the worship to God will look attractive to people. What does it say in Matthew 6 and verse 33? should be on the screen. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't leave today thinking, there's so much more we need to do. There's so much more I need to do in mission. We've got to reach everybody. I'm going to go out today and preach to everyone who will listen on the streets. I wouldn't discourage you from that. See if any fruit comes from it. God's establishing his local mission and us as a church as we put Jesus and his needs first. He'll sort the rest out as we learn to follow him and lead that quiet life as Paul told the Thessalonian church to do so that we may win the respect of outsiders. These commands that Paul's talking about, we don't like the word command, do we? What does that conjure up in your mind? Like your parents telling you you have to do something or you get punished if you disobey. Well, on the screen you'll see I've compiled just some of the commands that Paul had written to the Thessalonian church, (coughs) aggregated from one or two Thessalonians. I'm sure there's lots more he said when he was in person to them. And just as a sample, we've got increase in love, help the weak, Live in peace with each other, encourage one another. These are the things Paul's telling the church to do. And if we want to be those who go out and can demonstrate the love of Jesus, we need to be growing in these things. Now don't just be convicted, thinking, I'm doing hardly any of these commands, I fail every day and every week. So do we all. That's why we need Jesus. Don't be convicted thinking... This is a list of do's and don'ts that you absolutely have to follow or or else you're punished. Now ask yourself the question, what am I doing in my mission? If God has called you to believe, if he's given you the chance to respond in faith to this good news that Paul was preaching, that we can have the love of Jesus in our life and share that light with the world, 
Is it ours to just sit on like an egg and incubate? Do we just keep the good news to ourselves? Do we just live for ourselves? What does it say in 2 Peter chapter 1, 5 to 8? It'll be on the screen. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't want his church to just get comfortable and sit there in the community knowing that they have every hope in Jesus but never sharing it. Just having relationships amongst themselves and never spreading out. God wants us to grow in these commands in what we do with our faith every day. So that the local mission, so that the people we see immediately around us will be reached as we continue to press on in our calling, in our serving, in our mission. It's interesting as well, this word command here that Paul uses, in the Greek it's more of a military instruction, like orders passed down from a superior officer. We recognise that in the church Jesus is our commanding officer. And when he gives an order to the church, it's not something we can accomplish by our own individual effort. We all need to be doing it. And if you think of the church like the barracks where we come to train for God's mission to get out there and fight the enemy and push back the darkness we should really seriously consider how well we're doing as training soldiers do you think that God's church will be a very good lighthouse to the surrounding peoples if us, the soldiers inside are just blatantly disobeying the word of God and not doing what our commander says, if people look into the church and see a disobedience and a chaos and a lack of organisation and people just turning up when they feel like it and getting out of things because they don't feel like it, what's that going to say about our effectiveness in reaching the people around us? You see, it's our responsibility as Paul was telling the Thessalonian church, to live for Jesus every day until he comes back and to be figuring out what that looks like with each other, by the Holy Spirit, day by day. Where does Paul's confidence lie at the beginning of verse 4? We have confidence in the Lord, he says, concerning you. Not just a confidence in the hearts of these new believers in Thessalonia, Thessalonica. Not just a confidence in their desire, in their renewed appreciation for Jesus and how he must be shared. Paul's confidence comes from the Lord's ability to finish his mission within them. And so as we come to our final point, let's think about how God will bring a renewal of our own personal mission before we can even think about attempting Regional mission, global mission. God's going to direct our hearts, as it says in verse 5, into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. 
How wonderful that the Bible here doesn't say, you, make sure that you're directing your own heart into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. No, it's God who's going to direct our hearts. There's an active part to that. As we look at these verses, we see, verse 4, our active participation in living out the good news is to keep on serving and do the commands as we've received them. But that is sandwiched between verses 3 and 5 about God's faithfulness to bring the fruit in us, to direct our hearts. Don't think it's all on us to bring about a mission that looks attractive to people. Don't think it's all on God and that we can just sit around, be idle and not do anything. There's our part to play and God will finish that work. Maybe a more helpful way to understand verse 5 on the screen you'll see The New Living Translation. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. When you're thinking of the love of God and the patience of Christ, think that both one and at the same time, this is what we receive from God, what we see in his character in Jesus, and it's what we go and take to the world as well. It's for us to go and show people that the love of God is worth living for because we've seen it in our lives. It's to go and show people that we bear with one another's sins and we put up with each other because we believe that Jesus is coming back and we have his patience until then. You see, when we get tired of serving, when we get fed up of God's people, when we find our prayer life just dying and ceasing, And when we can't really be bothered to share the good news and to tell people how much Jesus has done for us and what he could mean for them. God is saying here in verse 5, I will bring about a renewal of your whole life. Have you experienced that renewal this morning? Do you know the love of God? We need to be people who breathe in the love of God and the patience of Christ. For ourselves, as a church... And then breathe it back out to the world around us. That's really what missions should look like. People coming together to meditate again on their position in God as having been forgiven, as having a relationship restored, as having been adopted as his beloved children. That's the love of God. Is a forgiveness and is a mercy that we don't deserve. And the patience of Christ, we'll look at Hebrews to help us understand that, Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What is it you're breathing in every day? What is it that you're building up in your life? If it's sin, if it's rebellion, if it's your own desires and living for yourself, then that will just multiply. But if you're bringing yourself before the throne of God afresh every day and remembering how much Jesus went through for you, how him dying on the cross, he was pinned there by each one of our sins, but he patiently endured that. He took what no other person could ever bear so that we can have peace with God and with men. And then, 
when we've breathed in deep this truth, when we've meditated upon the love of God and that perseverance of Christ that forgives us, we'll see a natural outworking of these things in our lives and into the people around us. We can believe that God will bring them in like sheep who need their shepherd as they see in us that joy that we have and that spirit of freedom that God brings. And what did it say just before that in the Hebrews 12 verse? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You see, the first thing to get right for each of us individually, every day, is to make sure we're seeing God for who he really is is to ask ourselves, have I received your mission, God? Do I know for certain what your mission is for my life? And then we can think about the mission of our family, we can think about the mission of our local church, and the mission of the whole world. And don't forget that it's Jesus who was the only one who could complete his mission perfectly. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. He bore the sins of the whole world And he took in our place the punishment we deserved so that he can work in us to complete the mission God has for us. So if you don't know that love of God this morning, and if you want to be set on the greatest mission of your life today, recognize that Jesus loves you. And he wants you to join in his great commission to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all nations. Let's be people who get this right who are so certain of our calling in God that we can't help but share it and spread it for the joy that it really is. So before I pray, let's take a minute to respond to God in our own hearts, thinking about what the Holy Spirit would have us apply and take away, what encouragements do we need, what convictions is he bringing. Do you know your God-given mission? individually, collectively, universally.